0: Every man has a codpiece on, basically.
1: Casey's always also just leaping at the camera, as it it were, like crotch first.
2: You know, Penn, I mean, when you gotta leap for the camera, you always gotta go crotch first. both in the world and on Quarantine Comics. From the Ukrainian and Russian notebooks, Batman's never-ending bat trauma, women trying to find meaning in the latter half of their lives.
0: So this week, we're returning to our childhoods by finally reading something happy, everyone's favorite green superhero, the Savage Dragon.
2: Ah, Roman, sorry. We are actually reading about another green superhero. This week, we're reading the original run of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird in... All of its black and white glory. And that's basically every Turtles comic from their 1984 first appearance in a little indie book to the early 90s when they'd become a major cultural phenomenon. I'm Ryan Joe, And I'm Roman Segel, And we're two guys who think that since the Ninja Turtles live in a sewer, they can just shit anywhere and it's totally fine. I've never thought about it that way. And joining us this week to bask in our nostalgia is returning friend of the pod, Penn Gentner. Now, Penn is a learned dude, having read cover to cover The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, as well as Winston Churchill's six-volume History of World War II. And now he's read cover to cover The Six-Volume Ultimate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Collection. I am
0: so sorry, Penn.
2: But he volunteered. And not only that, he also educated himself on the extensive and convoluted publishing history of the Ninja Turtles, such that I'm confident introducing him as our resident Ninja Turtle scholar.
0: I am so sorry, Penn.
2: Welcome, Penn. Hello. <laughs> Penn, which Ninja Turtle did you pretend to be? Raphael. Why Raphael? So
1: my friend Kyle was the one who got me into the Ninja Turtles, and he wanted to be Leonardo because he was the leader. And I guess I was Raphael because he was the turtle who sort of had the problem with that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like that the uh, the grade school interdynamics are already starting to Yeah,
2: that's uh, amazing. I love how it kind of like paralleled it right into your Ninja Turtles allegiance. Robin, who who are you? Oh, straight up Donatello. One thousand percent. What about you, Ryde? I was Michelangelo initially, but then I transitioned into Raphael. I kind of like the guy's sarcasm. I
0: think Raphael was the most popular one, and I didn't get that. Like, I, I get it now, reading it, like, through an adult lens, seeing kids reading these. So, yeah, I can understand why Raphael was the fan favorite.
2: Yeah, he's a he's kind of the curmudgeon of the group, and the the one with like the most personality, and you you see that in the in the Eastman and Laird comics. He's the one with who has kind of the biggest personality of all the turtles. I think.
0: I actually have a more important question for you guys. Which Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game did you like better?
1: I think it was the original one for the original Nintendo
2: Entertainment System.
0: Oh, the side scroll. Yeah, one. yeah.
2: I, I like Turtles in Time, but that was a more faithful because I really like the original Ninja Turtles game arcade game, and then they. Yeah, which Nintendo, was two. Which
0: was two. Yeah, it was
2: bad. They did not. Pour, it was just. It was a reduced version. And then Turtles in Time was like arcade faithful.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, that that arcade original version where you could play all four at the same time played many a night at Aladdin's Castle in Diamond Gyms at the Eastdale Mall.
2: Yeah, I remember just slamming on the buttons and screaming at the screen with all of my friends.
0: That's kind of what I was doing while I was reading this comic.
2: <laughs> all right, so so to the comic, what did you guys? think about it you know did it did it bring back all of your childhood nostalgia like a disney movie or were you kind of wondering why the hell did i like this crap in the first place or maybe a combination of both
1: so this isn't exactly what i was exposed to as a child i I got used to it as the animated television show and then the movie came out and this was the first time i'd ever read the comics which was originally the you know this was the source material
0: yeah, I, you know, I, maybe it's because I was a kid, I knew it was based on a comic, and I, you know, the comics were indie comics, too hard to get for, like, a Marvel and DC boy who got his stuff at, like, the drugstore, and so what little I could see of it, it seemed so much cooler and sophisticated, and I even have, like, memories maybe of, like, 10 or 20 years ago trying to go back and read the Black and Whites and being like, man, that's, like, some really good indie comics, <laughs> and, I kinda wish I left it in the mystique of it. Mm. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like it there were things that I liked about this, but there were more things and, and to be fair, what they were doing at the time was amazing. But I, I don't know. It didn't hold up to the like the black black and white indie mystique cool factor that I thought it was gonna have.
2: Yeah, I think the covers actually do a really good job conveying that mystique. They, you know, they're just very they're very cool looking. They have this sort of ash can quality. You know, you don't know what the turtle's story is, but you see them on these these dirty rooftops with their with their weapons out. It's just like a really cool look. And like both of you, I, I never read the comics growing up. I, I t- was totally into I probably saw every every episode of the cartoon and bought every or had my parents buy every action figure. We like both of you.
0: One of the things in the origin of the comic that I had heard about years ago that was super subversive that made me think it was going to just be a little bit deeper was when Eastman and Laird created this comic. I don't know if you know know this. So the the whole premise is kind of them taking the piss out of popular comics because at the time the most popular comics that were being sold in the 80s of the time of Eastman and Laird kind of cooked this idea up were the Teen Titan- new Teen Titans, the Uncanny X-Men, who are mutants, and Daredevil, Frank Miller's Daredevil, which had a shitload of ninjas. So they just kind of like mooshed all those things together. It's like, let's put, put a word mash of all the hottest things together and then work backwards and create something. And hearing that story, I, I hope that's true. I haven't watched either of the documentaries right on Netflix or Paramount+. Plus, but hearing that story... What's that? They verify that. Okay, yeah. So it just made me be like, wow, these guys are like subversive, taking the piss out of Mm -hmm. the comic book industry, and then just having a lot of fun with it. Which, to be fair, they were having a lot of fun with it. So, I don't know.
2: To me, the strongest episodes, you know, honestly, is the first three volumes up until the point where they kill Shredder. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell that there's just sort of this madcap imagination running wild like the the turtles would get transported to this world where there are triceratons and you know they meet a they meet a renegade robot fugitoy there's just this fun sense of just randomness the shit that happens the Mm -hmm. whether the ninja turtles are like fighting street crime or they're fighting intergalactic wars of course one of my favorite panels actually is when you know splinter gets kidnapped in the beginning and you know he's like oh who are these guys who kidnapped me and he he turns a corner and it's and you see like the the krangs i guess (laughs) just kind of like eat, eating no, lunch no, no, <laughs> explicitly i
0: was i was waiting like which one of these is crying that they're gonna base the cartoon character
2: off of yeah, yeah all, all of all of the above but it's just it's just this funny weird surreal moment and definitely towards the like the middle part it kind of lost a lot of that crazy madcap adventure I and mean, almost became sort of mundane it became maybe to your point Roman, sort of the thing that th- they initially set out to to mock and parody yeah, cuz like in those those opening volumes,
0: I it, it wasn't quite Chris Claremont X-Men, but it was reminiscent of it. You know, there's just such zany world-building, not complete world-building, but just like there's a bunch of people with brains that we're not going to explain it. There's a bunch of triceratops robots and warring empires and we're not going to explain it. Just go with it. Yeah. And and even even towards the middle though, they had all these kind of like interesting one-shots like the Samurai Ghost Grandpa the, you know, they had all the one shots with Donatello meeting Jack Kirby. So they still were having fun and experimenting with the medium. But to your point, by the time you get to volume four or five of this kind of six volume ultimate run that we read, it, it the plots became very pedestrian. Yeah. I, I don't know, Penn, how how did you feel kind of running the gamut of the arc with us?
1: I agree with you about that. But everything changed with the sixth, sixth volume, which was just sort of a random collection of stories.
0: And from over the years though from over the years yes
1: it was so it's not sequential with the rest of the stuff some of the, the, the stories in the sixth volume have that robot that they met earlier some of them have mm. the like time traveler and i i really enjoyed the the diversity of styles that that yeah. blossomed in that book because they invited other artists to join them
2: yeah that was actually a lot of fun and actually when you know you can see some recognizable art like Actually, I was I was reading the Steve Bissett one where Splinter is, no, where Michelangelo is injured and he's kind of going through this mental anguish. And I'm like, man, this looks a lot like Swamp Thing, like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, you know, with the way the panels are laid out. They're trying to show what it's like to work through a serious injury. You've got all these demons. And then it was like, oh, it's Steve Bissett. It's the guy who illustrated Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. So, of course. And then Richard Corbin, who's, who's a really famous heavy metal guy. Heavy metal, the magazine, not the not music you know he had a one shot as well so and actually that last volume one thing that it really emphasized to me is how towards the end of eastman and lair's tenure in the early 90s the the turtles had been were kind of like devoid of imagination and so seeing that reading that volume six it was what i enjoyed about the earlier episodes of the turtles just that kind of madcap adventure where weird shit just happens for like no reason like they go into a bar and start consuming drugs and just start <laughs> getting a bar fight and, and it's worth noting like the
0: volume six is not even released in chronological order to the first five the first five are kind of sequential and six is this collection of almost all these homages that you know as the turtles were you know lighting everyone's imagination in the comics and the creative space everyone wanted a turn everyone wanted to play with these kind of really cool toys and you, you just get this beautiful smorgasbord. Some are hits, some are misses. But yeah, volume six is almost just a standalone thing that you can read by itself without having to deal with you know, I, I think you should just read like volume one, two, three, and six.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think I, you can skip four and five. I would agree with that. I, I would I would definitely agree with that. You can stop reading the, the, the ongoing series once they once they behead Shredder, which is the the turtles are surprisingly lethal throughout these books.
0: well and then by by the time you get to the latter two volumes it becomes almost pedestrian and there were moments again it was a super long drawn-out story arc why do i give a shit about april and her sister yeah i don't give a shit about all of this stuff and it'd be it, it because it was juxtaposed against the turtles dealing with some very real shit. <laughs> well,
2: was like, what is going on? I mean, even that was I, I kind of get the sense there's like a lot of times where the turtles are like training and trying to figure out what's their next mission or not not their next mission, what is their purpose. And I actually think that's Eastman and Laird trying to figure out what the fuck to do with the turtles. Like it it's kind of reflective of I don't know what to do with it with the Ninja Turtles. I don't know where to send them. So I'm just gonna have them train and think about like what should we be
1: doing?
0: Oh, um, just milk it. Just milk it at yeah. this point. Because by this point, I, I was kind they're of famous. It, yeah, like I was intermittently reading the letters pages, and like the movies are being made, the cartoons and the video games are being made, and they're underwater on everything.
2: And 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 I, it was a big mistake, I think, to move Casey and April into their own journeys. As you mentioned, it's not that interesting. You know, April kind of goes off and has her issue with her sister. Casey, I mean, you know, the thing about Casey. Remember how Bane is like? No one cared who I was once they put on the mask. No one cared about Casey Jones until he put on the mask. And we he takes off the mask and starts raising a baby in a trailer, it says, like, that is, it is, you have jumped the shark with Casey Jones. It is over. I
0: hate to continue channeling my inner Ryan, but something that really, like, pissed me off about this book <laughs> is... <laughs> We're going to shit all over it. We're going to put Mutation Ooze all over it. No, because, like, look, the, the first two to three volumes, was it as sharp as my memory was of you know wow these really cool indie black and white comics where they all have red bandanas and all that stuff like no but it was still pretty good and pretty entertaining and I really came to appreciate the value of good inking because there were Hmm. some issues where they just clearly weren't inked at all or barely inked at all and you lost all the tone all the shading and I went back and I looked I was like did they change the artist and it was no they just kind of got lazy and the really good inks were covering up the really kind of Bad art <laughs> like it was like it it reminded me of stuff like some of my like junior high friends would draw i, I hate to say i, that. I, I really again <laughs> the, the story creation the character creation was massive but i don't think the art was keeping up with it or and i'm being i'm really hitting hard on the pencils versus the inks
2: are you are you talking about towards the end when
0: towards the middle um, towards the middle there's just where they've just given up on inking some of the issues
1: I had a, a different experience of that because for the first three volumes that I read, I got the color classics, which what pen
2: get off were, get know, off the.
1: They went back to the original black and whites and just colorized them. so it's this, it's the same panels and stories and everything, but it, yeah, it full color all the way. And so, so how did
2: it look? Well, yeah what, what was your how, how did you feel about the colors? How did you feel about the art? The colors
1: worked. It was like it was. It made it more like watching an episode of the animated TV show. It felt different in black and white. Once I got to volume four,
2: did they change the colors of the masks, or did they keep them all red? They kept them
0: all red. It, it's it's interesting though because it's something we talk a lot about on this this pod. Pen is like. Trying to consume it, the work, and to be clear, I read them all electronically, not in like ashcan comics. But I think I got what's whatever was called the ultimate edition, and so it was majority black and white. And it it definitely does change your consumption context, right? Like I knew I was consuming something very different from the comics, even though by by the time you get to a certain point, you start to see the zany nature, the madcap nature. Yeah, it was, but but I and I'm I'm very curious to like see some of these color pages did they redo the inks because there's just Ryan. i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but somewhere in volume two volume three they just kind of gave up on inking it and it just the, the drawings just get like really the art gets really really pedestrian you're right all the
1: all the lines are like a lot lighter in volume three and it looks like it's the same artists but it's not necessarily the same
0: style yeah, so and, and I... the two used to collaboratively pe- like collaboratively pencil and ink over each other. And I read in one of the letters pages, as they started to get more and more busy, they would kind of like create them completely independent of each other. And they were they even said it was kind of like when the Beatles did all their solo albums is kind of how they felt. They weren't riffing on each other as much as Creator towards the middle. I'll give you I'll give you a very specific example. I think I'm in volume three of the Ultimate Edition, page 171. Where you kind of have the massive like foot soldier battle on the streets of New York City. There's just like no inking. Other, it's tracing. It's not real inking. It There's looks, no depth.
2: It looks like I mean they definitely looks like they use a pen. Um, it looks like they were in a hurry. So I have to admit, I know what you're I I'm looking at it right now. I actually like that for some reason, and I like it for the very reason that you don't like it, which
0: Why is am I not surprised?
2: That well, yeah, it does look a little bit amateurish, but you know, like like you're like you're reading out of some kid's sketchbook, right? It doesn't have the sort of polish that some of the later episodes have. Or earlier I, episodes. Yeah, but I, I actually I don't know. You know what? There's this is so this is the one where they kind of have that renegade triceraton and they're gonna about to take on just like Shredder's Last Stand. It's this big full-on assault. And in a way, how rough-hewn the art looks kind of for me makes gives this sense of almost of urgency of okay you know we're not very polished but this is going to be the violent end and we just got to get through it it's not something that i would want to see throughout the entire run but i remember looking at this and thinking oh this looks really kind of sketchy but i i actually kind of appreciate how how rough it all looks and yeah, it, it, so so to me, that's why it worked for this particular section. I actually really liked, in a way, the the art, even though it was well. I I, I, want, to be, I want to be
0: really clear. In in this kind of third volume, there are some pages where there's some semblance of inking where it is rough and cross hatched, etc. And there's other ones where they're literally just kind of drawing over the lines. So I want to make sure we're talking about some of the same pages. I don't mind the indie comics look. What I don't like is when there's a lot of Depth and dimension to the work, and then they just completely abandon it for, and,
2: and it's in the interest of time. It's not in the interest of the story. I guess is no. I I, I I I agree. I mean, I'm not saying that this is an intentional decision. I I would if you said they're working on a deadline, I would be like, yeah, they probably are. And yet, I I think it worked. I mean, well, I say that as if that is intentional, but I think it 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 was it served the story well somehow. I you know, it wasn't something that really bothered me you know the way unpolished art would normally normally bothers me actually one thing that i'm just flipping through it one thing that did bother me though the way they draw the tails on the on the turtles makes them look like kinises, <laughs> that was always that was constantly distracting i was like what is that uh, oh, no, honestly is tail.
0: honestly the way they draw um, i mean again their their mastery of female and male anatomy is equally lifeldian in the sense yeah. that uh, some of the men i mean every man has a cod piece on, basically.
2: Well, remember when Casey Jones has the baby? The baby looks like a middle-aged man. Casey's always like,
1: also just leaping at the camera, as it, as it were, like crotch first.
2: I, you know, <laughs> I, I I never noticed that. But you know, Penn, I mean, when you're when, when you gotta when you gotta leap for the camera, you always gotta go crotch first. It's <laughs> rule of law. You know, one one
0: thing. Well, speaking of all the leaping, like as as critical as I am of the art, the one thing I will say is. You know, say what you will know about the cheesy plot, the cheesy writing in the inconsistent art and inks. These guys actually have a superior mastery of like sequential art when it comes to action sequences and fight scenes. Like at first, you know, in the first couple of volumes, I was just kind of flying through it. But as I went further, when, you know, you remove all dialogue for four pages and you just kind of have these like jump cuts of action scenes and you're trying to telegraph what's going on. I really felt like I was watching an amazingly choreographed fight scene because they clearly thought about who's on what side of the room. Donatello's falling to the bottom, then this guy's going to stab that guy, and I, yeah, it was it was really well done.
2: Well, I liked it when Michelangelo, one of the, it's in the first volume or second volume, I think, with Michelangelo, kind of, I think it's Michelangelo. That's the other problem with watching, reading it in black and white is that ever, you can't really tell which turtle is which. Well, hang on, in again? color
0: you wouldn't either because they all have yeah, because they all have the red masks.
2: masks but um, you know when when he's kind of intercepts the people stealing the co- stealing the toys and then he goes on he tries to you know he tries to attack the van the getaway vehicle and then there's this high speed pursuit across across New York i thought that was actually really well done and well choreographed that was actually that was a fun episode How did I mean, you I feel about
0: Splinter? How did you feel about I mean again, it's it's funny. So much of so many of us consume this as a cartoon first. And so it's really interesting to see kind of the story changes that they made to these characters, right? Like April O'Neill is now a reporter, and you know, another one, Splinter was a human turned into a rat. That's the Splinter we know, but in this version, Splinter is a rat. And that leads to some really interesting moral dilemmas when you meet the rat catcher. <laughs> like, yeah. I... <laughs> How did I
2: feel so about Splinter?
1: questions, it's like yeah. is is Splinter a master, and are the are the turtles heroes? Well, in, in the
0: United Kingdom, they are heroes, not ninjas. I don't know. Yes, about this. they're
1: called that there. Yeah,
2: teenage hero, teenage mutant hero Teen- turtles. That is correct. <laughs> the Why? British couldn't handle. I don't know. The British just thought it was too weird, too much. Of so all they- of the things that are weird, ninjas is probably the least weird thing about them. What is? <laughs> but it's but the okay. third thing.
1: they were translating ninja as assassin, and they thought that that was a little too intense for like little English kids.
2: I guess. Yeah. Okay. They are kind of assassins, though, in the comic. That's for sure. They, they, yes. like, they kill right and left. I mean, they're just whether they're snapping your neck, cutting your head off, or just shooting you with a gun. <laughs> there are. Man yeah, they
1: totally shot somebody in the third issue yeah and Probably you were
0: going you were going somewhere yeah
1: No yeah, so like splinter basically guides them to achieve revenge. they do that and then he like he disappears for a long time on his own sort of vision quest.
2: Yeah yeah, I don't even know it's... what he was trying to do. I don't know
1: there's this aura of like respect and mastery around him that I don't think he achieves as a character in these comic books.
2: He, he's actually kind of a non-entity. In a way, I know, like, there's this line where April said, "Oh, you're my father to me," and it's like, yeah, that was, was unearned, like, unearned, like, unearned. Yeah, what does he really do? But yeah, he just kind of like, he kind of goes off on his own. I guess he trains all the turtles in the background. There is one sequence where I think he's directing them during a combat. Oh, when uh, after Leonardo gets his ass kicked and thrown through the window, you know, Splinter is sort of choreographing, telling everyone what to do, being a field general. But aside from that, that's the only time I actually noticed Splinter being a leader every time a lot of other times he seems sort of hapless and the
1: other question was are the turtles heroes because they, they like they achieve this revenge they stop splinter from doing some other crime that he was involved in but then they some other criminals arrive back in town they negotiate with them for territory and basically are like okay so long as you stop attacking us we'll let you have your part of town or whatever
2: the philosophy of the Ninja Turtles is strangely is is kind of consistently sort of revenge driven, or it's about sort of the necessity of violence. And let me give you a few examples. There's that I mean, besides the fact that the turtles are always exacting revenge, there's that kid who's getting bullied in the sixth volume, and you know his father's like, no, nonviolence is the way to heaven, and then Donatello basically says, yeah, but you know sometimes you gotta kick some ass a little bit, and he's like, yes, I I, I realize that now. My father was I. I didn't realize my father can't isn't right about everything. That's one example. There's another one where this elderly is actually a sauce from the sixth volume where this elderly couple gets accosted by some, th- by some home invaders. And the, the, the final shot is the, is the, the old man buying a gun. So
1: this whole series, I was disappointed in that.
2: Well, again, you have
0: to, re- you have to, you have to end it at volume five cuz volume 6 is a bunch of one shots.
2: Wait, I just want why were you why were you disappointed in that?
0: Growing up, they I don't know. They fought
1: with ninja weapons. They were yeah, my idea of them was as like heroes mm. of the sort. and heroes
0: in uh, a half shell, yeah, one could say.
1: I don't see some like scared old white man buying a gun as heroic.
2: Yeah. I I no, I I, I agree with you. It, there is something. But I mean it's it's the the Ninja Turtles in the comics are vastly different than the Ninja Turtles in the cartoon, where they're they're sort of harmless and it's all for yucks. Here, they are going to kill you. Like they, they they go on missions of assassination. I mean, um, there's there's oh, they in the last story arc, the war for New York or whatever. You know, the woman is the the female protagonist is like, oh, you know, we have to go. We have to. You must promise me you'll kill them. And they're like, yeah, we're going to kill them. And then at the end, she's just like, okay, well, you know, we've satisfied our need for revenge, and I i hope you find something new in your next journey <laughs> that's not It's like and and the last shot is leonardo being like yes we will like okay okay it's uh,
0: little, can someone explain to me, can someone explain to me at the end of volume five who the old man is
2: oh i didn't understand that either i was like gonna ask you guys did you guys know who's the who's a sad oh, russian dude or the it, sad Serbian guy who, who is he? he was in the
1: he, the apartment below the shop that blew up they followed his story over several issues
2: so i wonder is this
0: is this subversive storytelling because you know the guy i think was listening to the radio about the bosnian serbian conflict Mm. at the time in the 90s or was it just uh, kind of the way i felt about casey jones in volume three just this kind of meandering side plot that never went anywhere (laughs)
2: that (laughs) i I would say the latter
1: notes at the end of the the issues in the uh, the ultimate collection he expresses regret that they continued it and they yeah that he identifies that they sort of petered it out
2: yeah he really doesn't have anything to do with any of the turtles adventures so i was kind of waiting for him to kind of emerge as a supervillain or something i thought it was
0: shredder i thought it was shredder that for Uh, the longest time i was like oh this is shredder didn't actually die he just you know He's either hiding out or lost his memory and something will like awaken him. That would I guess, really
2: I guess. Yeah. I guess the thing is like, you have this guy who's genuinely just traumatized by the bombing in Serbia. And you're also, we're also in a comic where you have Triceratons. So it's just like this disconnect in tone. And I'm not saying that everyone had has to be like funny and everything has to be, or everything has to be, you know, nothing can be serious. But it just felt like two completely different comics. And, you know, maybe it's also a reflection of Eastman and Laird as they're, you know, kind of responding to things that they're seeing, their personal attitudes and thoughts. You know, they they might have kind of outgrown the sort of storytelling that they did in the early part of Ninja Turtles, though that is the sort of storytelling that resonated with me the most, that felt the most creative and the most fun. And it's something I kind of I missed as we talked about earlier. Yeah, that was actually another thing. The the initially there's like so many interesting, colorful side characters. And at the end, the final villain that they fight is basically Shredder's elite guard, Shredder's henchman, who you have seen before. It's like you're fighting a bunch of like side characters. And it's like, why is that you have this opportunity to really kind of create this really interesting, unusual villain, which you have been doing in the first couple of issues. Why, why is that towards the end? It's just like, it's all the, all the demons are internal and anyone who's trying to kill the turtles are just kind of like either the rednecks or they're, or they're run-of-the-mill mobsters or they're run-of-the-mill ninjas. And that was actually really bit disappointing for me. That, that loss of, of color in Penn's case, that loss of color was literal.
0: (laughs) Indeed. So Penn, as someone who's dug in a little bit more on like the history the evolution of the turtles. I mean, are there any interesting kind of tidbits that you pulled out?
1: There are two movies that I saw the, well, there's an episode of the toys that made us season three. Episode one is on Netflix Netflix. and turtle power on paramount plus. Um, and Turtle Power features a lot of interviews with Eastman and Laird. And it talks about how Laird had already started this little studio. Eastman joined him very early in life. I think it might've been his first job. They started Mirage Studios together and started producing this stuff. It was successful, like with, but the second issue sold like, I don't know, 60 times more than the first issue even printed and they rapidly started developing this intellectual property empire and the the toy branch of that sort of lapped them in terms of we have to come up with a new character to produce because we're on a schedule to roll out these these toys so they had they had to expand the intellectual property with the
0: cartoons and everything
1: to accommodate what they were doing with these toy sales, which were just through the roof.
0: And did that create like create a friction between the two creators or just a friction between like the IP commercialization and the actual comic, I guess?
1: So the creators were basically totally on board with everything through the movies <laughs> <up until laughs> the introduction, as, long as the
0: checks cleared
1: up until the introduction of a female turtle.
0: Uh, venus de milo venus de yeah. Ma- uh,
1: oh yes and peter laird had a real problem with that and basically walked away and he
0: actually sold his rights back to eastman i believe
1: he retained the right to produce a turtle comic on his own in perpetuity but yeah he let them go ahead with it but the the movie was also a really interesting thing because it was the top grossing independent film of all time to date that to that date
0: the original uh, the, one
1: the original one and it was Jim Henson's last project that he during his lifetime.
2: Fascinating. Well, it's going on with the bang. I think I really like that movie. And actually, I was surprised at how much the movie, the original movie, took from the comic, just from a plot standpoint. From, yeah, I actually remember being a little bit indignant when I first saw the movie and the foot were humans and not robots. You know, because I, for me, the lore is they are robots, which of course right. I guess makes them easier to slash up in a in a G-rated environment. So that the uh, the uh, the beating of Leonardo, and then the, they're fleeing to the to the the country estate or the the, the well, I want to call it a state. the rundown country house. April losing everything in a fire, all of that, and then also the origin of of Shredder and Splinter being you know being a bona fide rat. You know that that stuff. You know I remember kind of being a little indignant when the movie came out. That's not how it's supposed to be, but that's actually from the original comic. And actually, so in a way, I also kind of appreciated seeing the comic as sort of this this primordial version of the movie that ultimately, I you know, I became a, a big fan of. I was delighted by so, that
0: aspect of it. So w- while we've been talking, so obviously we all saw the 1990 and 1991 sequel of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but in 2014, they rebooted the movies and there was a sequel in 2016. And my wife and I, this was before we had kids and we had way too much time. We actually watched this film. And one fun fact I did not know. So, yes, I already knew Megan Fox plays April O'Neil in both films. What I did not know is that one of the great American actors, Tony Shaloub, <laughs> of Monk and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel fame, plays the voice of Splinter. So, you know, there you go.
2: I'm glad he got paid for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Knoxville is actually the voice of Leonardo oh really that's there interesting
2: wow. wow i i have a question i want to talk about the dave sim cerebus episode of ninja turtles because it I was one of the, the the episodes that i thought was the best but also the one that was also kind of the most troubling especially given dave sims i guess philosophy around around women his misogyny let's just say did you i did you guys do you guys remember that episode where they had the crossover with cerebus the aardvark
0: Was it in volume six? I
2: saw some, I was flying through volume six. It was volume one. They, they have, oh, they. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, They they land land in like a foreign land. I forgot her name. Yeah. Yeah, They land in this. and And sometimes the writing's kind of the sharpest. And also that's, I think that's a product of Dave Sim. Dave Sim, if you don't know. So Dave Sim at the same time had his own independent comic book, comic book called Cerebus the Aardvark that began as sort of a parody of the Conan the Barbarian comics, except his Conan was an work named Cerebus. And as the series progressed, the art got more sophisticated. He actually hired somebody to do these really photorealistic, beautiful backgrounds. His book became more political and philosophical. It became less about parodying Conan and more using that as a vessel to communicate his own philosophical thoughts. And then towards the latter he had a lot of female fans, and then towards the latter half he kind of adopted this Kind of really weird, odious philosophy around basically around women being just completely straight up emotional, and that that pretty much you know really damaged Dave Sim's reputation. And so this is sort of the early part of his career, I think, when he's teaming up with the Ninja Turtles, and there's this this sharpness to Cerebus. like you know he's teaming up with the Turtles to kind of ransack this castle, and he says, "Okay, so when you go, maybe don't say wahoo," you know, he's he kind of kind of sticking it to to the way eastman and laird write the turtles which is what i liked about it but at the same time there's also this like the female there is the is this is this bimbo right she's like a straight up dumb woman caricature i mean the turtles are always telling her oh would you please just be quiet stop talking and i I kind of wonder if that's sims influence as well and so that's kind of my conflict there and i was wondering if you guys like you know, saw that, had problems with that too. Yes, I
1: didn't think it was that far off from the little attention they paid to April and Neil, though.
2: Mm. Well, I see, the thing about April, though, she's not, you know, she's she's kind of a non-entity for a long time, but she's not dumb, and she's not, like, this annoying character. She, and then towards, and then later on, there is this attempt to humanize her, especially when they go to the, when they go to the the house, you know, at least we get more of her interiority, even though it's it's as it relates to the turtles. And then later on, you know, she has her ad- her own adventure in Los Angeles, which doesn't, you know, it feels isn't great, right, right. but it is it's much also three dimensional character. And she's yeah. not, yeah, and she's not, she's not an idiot, you know, and and yeah. the character... she, she has more,
0: she has uh, she has more agency, yeah. But I think something Eastman and Lard absolutely struggle with
2: across the board
0: it's three-dimensional characters
2: no i I agree and i don't think the ninja turtles are really kind of the they they don't unlike unlike cerebus cerebus actually kind of strangely it does work as it did work as an exploration for real human of you know real human emotion real human conflicts and i think that's that's actually more to do with who dave sim is as a writer he's a stronger writer than eastman and laird it's just you know in his in his episode that woman is just aggressively idiotic, and. I, 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 you know, I don't know who wrote her dialogue or who, who decided to, you know, position her in that way. She's a scantily clad woman who just kind of says dumb things. But I, so, and so, I don't know if that's Eastman Laird or, or Dave Sim, but it was something that definitely stuck out, and especially stuck out knowing what Dave Sim would eventually become. I don't, I don't think I
0: read into it as much because I was in Volume One, kind of in the whiz bang fun mode. Still, yeah, so. yeah,
2: but but you know, to, it. It works at that level too, though. And I also think that that, that episode just kind of had like the 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 sharpest sort of commentary of the genre. Usually through through Cerebus, because he's the one who, he's like the one character who is funny, but doesn't know that he's funny.
0: What I'm really struggling with is, when we set out to read this, I was like, damn, six volumes, 300 or 400 pages each. How are we going to get through this? And... It was a fun read. Sorry, it was a fast read. I don't know if it was entirely a fun read. I I kind of wish I didn't revisit this part of my childhood, you know, because I, it mm. was cooler. The original comics were cooler in my head before I went back and read this. Is there some absolutely amazing art, some absolutely zany, madcap ideas, some ridiculous, like, sequential art fight scenes? Absolutely. And I do think these guys paved the way for indie comics and pop culture. I mean, uh, Mirage comics, I think they almost practically incubated or published the initial image run, right? So like we have so much to thank these guys for and on honestly all of our childhood with the video games and the toys. but this is one of those times where going back to the source material actually hurt me a lot. <laughs>
1: what did you think, Penn? I was delighted by it. I I got these in the mail one day, and I just hadn't felt that kind of particular joy that I, had, I hadn't experienced since like the f- third or fourth
2: grade. Oh, that's just, awesome! Uh, that is so freaking cool! Totally. And when
1: when I was in the third or fourth grade, and my friend Kyle, who got me into this stuff, we, we were on the we we're in PE class, and it was dodgeball day, and. Kyle thought that he was going to go out and conquer, and he, he yelled, "Come on, Pen! Turtle power!" And he ran out and like went down in a hail of dodgeballs.
0: <laughs> turtle power,
1: indeed.
2: So, 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 Pen, would you would you recommend it?
1: Yeah, it, it's delightful and ridiculous, and I would absolutely recommend it.
2: I would say, yeah, definitely read up to the you know volume three. I think you know the 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 death of Shredder. I think is kind of where you need to. Yeah.
0: And then jump to volume six for a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Skip. I would skip volumes four and five because that's when you feel them kind of kicking the can down the road in terms of like, I don't know what to do with this, with this storyline here. But you know, it, for me, it was just sort of like kind of seeing where a lot of the things that I loved as a child, you know, where it all came from, how it sort of was initially conceived. And I also kind of just really like contrasting it also how different the comic was compared to the, to the cartoon, which is, you know, sanitized for, for children. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of interesting seeing the roots of something that i really enjoyed as a child. All right. Well, Raman, I know that we, I'm guessing that you would not recommend it. No, I, I just, I'm very mixed feelings about it.
0: Very mixed feelings about it. Given we've been reading a lot of heavy stuff lately. So this was a fun distraction, but it wasn't nearly, as much fun and it almost tinged kind of the illusion of what the cooler original stuff should have been
2: if so, you didn't read four and five re- if you didn't read episodes four and five how would you would you have felt differently
0: maybe 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 yeah you know that that's another problem with this podcast is we we cram a lot into a week i think had i been reading it of my own design like oh i just want to catch up on the ninja turtles i think i don't know if i would have made it all the way to volume three but i certainly would have stopped on volume four right like i would have been like, eh not feeling or if I was reading the original issues somewhere in somewhere in the middle of volume four those issues I would have dropped off very quickly yeah so yeah I I think you can get a lot of enjoyment out of volume one volume two and leave yourself wanting more (laughs) just walk
2: away oh Robin I'm so sorry you were disappointed what are we reading next week I hope next week is uh, you know kind of brings the joy of childhood back to you I
0: don't know about that if anything it brings us the joy of being old centurions even Ryan you know why Because it's our 100th episode. Oh, shit. So, what could we do to celebrate 100 episodes of far too highbrow, sometimes sophomoric comic book wizardry?
2: We could read, reread the Ukrainian and Russian notebooks. Maybe we need a religious experience. Maybe we need to. We could read from hell. We could read from hell. (laughs)
0: I think we should consult with the Pope. Paul Pope. Paul about, Pope. What is the first comic called? Is it called The 100?
2: 100% oh. and Batman Year 100. Damn straight. That's what we're reading next week. Quarantine
0: Comics number 100. We're reading comics with 100 in the title. Because, <laughs> because we are shallow.
2: That was, <laughs> that's the most original thing we could come up with.
0: Penn, thank you for dealing yes. with us.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for putting up with this shit. It's been awesome.
0: And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at QTDcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. QTDcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman
2: Segal. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.